Hi, this is Hale Shepard, an international tax and tax dispute attorney with a passion for writing. You're listening to Prose by Tax Pros, another article by Hale Shepard. I published a series of articles offering insight about complicated tax issues while still making them interesting and understandable. Please continue listening for one of my articles, previously published in a major journal and read by a professional. It's important to note that I am a tax attorney, but I'm not your tax attorney. The information in the article does not constitute advice or guidance of any type to anyone. It's being provided for general informational purposes only. Comparing IRS Settlements, Easements, and Employee Retention Credits. Written by Hale E. Shepard. Introduction. Things are dynamic when it comes to the employee retention credit. Among the most recent events is the introduction of the Voluntary Disclosure Program, or VDP, which is designed for taxpayers that previously filed ERC claims, got paid, later questioned their eligibility, and now want to give the money back with minimal financial downsides. The IRS says that it wants to help taxpayers victimized by aggressive marketing tactics or their own inexperience. Others, however, suspect that the VDP is more about the IRS's attempts to cope with the massive number of prior, pending, and future ERC claims with limited resources. The true rationale for the VDP is not terribly important, but understanding its precise terms, other recent settlement programs, and the pros and cons of participating sure is. This article, the latest in an ongoing series, compares methods used by the IRS in addressing conservation easement donations and ERCs and then poses some questions to consider. Conservation Easement Donations, IRS Methods Lots of attention is now focused on ERC issues, but conservation easements dominated the headlines for a long time. The IRS has used many of the same tools in both scenarios. Backstory Taxpayers who own undeveloped property have several options. They might hold it as an investment and sell when the price is right. Another option is to figure out how to maximize profitability from the property and do that immediately, regardless of the negative effects it might have on others. Yet another possibility is voluntarily restricting future uses of the property to benefit society as a whole. The last option, known as donating a conservation easement, triggers tax deductions for donors. Congress has allowed tax deductions for conservation easement donations for more than five decades. This concept was codified in 1980 with the enactment of Section 170H. Congress created this provision because it believes that preservation of our country's natural resources and cultural heritage is important. Things are not all rosy, though. The IRS came to suspect that some taxpayers were abusing this incentive by claiming unwarranted or inflated tax deductions. Thus, in late 2016, the IRS announced in Notice 2017-10, 2017-4 IRB 544, that it intended to challenge what it coined Syndicated Conservation Easement Transactions, or SCETs. In addition to labeling them listed transactions, the IRS featured SCETs on its Dirty Dozen list for years. The IRS did not stop there. It took several other enforcement actions, with varying degrees of success. These included launching a compliance campaign, 
auditing every single tax return reflecting an SCET, filing an injunction action to halt certain activities, engaging in a media blitz, starting many promoter investigations, instructing revenue agents to issue more summonses, eliminating the multi-layer review process before proposing penalties against appraisers, authorizing criminal investigations, making improper contacts with third parties, denying pre-litigation review of certain cases by the Independent Office of Appeals, and more. The IRS realized at some point that all its efforts in combating SCETs were insufficient. The sticks, in other words, were not yielding the desired results. The IRS decided to switch gears and offer taxpayers carrots instead. These came in two forms as described below. Withdrawal option. The IRS first encouraged individual partners of partnerships that engaged in SCETs to resolve their issues by filing Qualified Amended Returns, or QARs. This requires some explanation. When a tax underpayment is attributable to one of several things, the IRS can assert an accuracy-related penalty. For individual taxpayers, an underpayment ordinarily means the difference between the tax liability that taxpayers reported on their Form 1040 U.S. Individual Income Tax Return, and the tax liability they would have reported if they had correctly completed their Form 1040 in the first place. For instance, if the true tax liability was $100,000, but the taxpayers only reported $80,000 on their Form 1040, then the IRS could assert a penalty of $4,000, that is, a $20,000 tax understatement multiplied by 20%. The QAR is an obscure mechanism allowing taxpayers to correct a tax underpayment after filing their original Form 1040 with the IRS. In essence, if an individual taxpayer files a Form 1040 and later realizes that it showed a tax underpayment, he has a limited opportunity to submit a QAR to rectify the situation proactively and avoid penalties. The taxpayer obtains the benefit in the following manner. The tax liability shown on the original Form 1040 is deemed to include the additional tax reflected on the subsequent QAR. Modifying the basic example above, if the taxpayer filed a Form 1040 showing a tax liability of $80,000 and later submitted a QAR indicating a revised liability of $100,000, then no underpayment would exist, and the IRS would have no grounds for asserting the penalty. The purpose of the QAR rules is to encourage voluntary compliance by permitting taxpayers to avoid accuracy-related penalties by filing a QAR before the IRS begins an investigation of the taxpayer or the promoter of a transaction in which the taxpayer participated. Turning back to SCETs, in late 2019, the IRS published an information release encouraging taxpayers to file QARs, with promises of penalty waiver in exchange for a full, voluntary concession of all tax benefits. In it, the IRS commissioner made the following proclamation. If you engaged in any questionable SCET, you should immediately consult an independent, competent tax advisor to consider your best available options. It is always worthwhile to take advantage of various methods of getting back into compliance by correcting your tax returns before you hear from the IRS. Taxpayers may avoid the imposition of penalties relating to the improper contribution deductions if they fully remove the improper contribution and related tax benefits from their returns by timely filing a QAR or timely administrative adjustment request. Settlement Initiative 
The IRS later won a few tax court cases focused on supposed technical flaws in the easement-related documentation. It then tried to capitalize on this momentum by introducing a settlement initiative in 2020, the key aspects of which are summarized below. Unanimous Participation The IRS began by resolutely stating that the settlement initiative was only open to partnerships, all of whose partners agreed to the terms. However, the offer letters sent to particular partnerships explained that the IRS might consider resolving cases in situations in which fewer than all partners agreed to settle. The IRS emphasized, though, that greater penalties might be imposed against the partners in those situations. Later, IRS guidance exhibited some flexibility on this point. It revealed that the IRS might consider settling with just a group of partners as long as that group represented a significant percentage of all the ownership interests in the partnership and other factors were met. Two Types of Partners The settlement initiative delineated two types of partners. Category 1 partners were those who engaged in any of the following activities or who met any of the following criteria for any SCET, even those in prior years. 1. Participated, directly or indirectly, in organizing, selling, or promoting any SCET, issuing an appraisal, supplying legal or tax advice, or providing return preparation services. 2. Was a material advisor to such a participant. Or 3. Was related to any person who engaged in any of the activities listed above. Partners were forced to consider all their past behavior for all partnerships to determine whether the IRS would deem them Category 1 partners. By default, Category 2 partners were those who were not Category 1 partners. 3. Costs Partnerships, or partners concluding matters under the settlement initiative, had to pay a settlement amount which was composed of three parts, taxes, penalties, and interest. Under the settlement initiative, the partnership could not claim, under Section 170 or another federal tax provision, any of the charitable deductions that it originally claimed on its Form 1065, U.S. Return of Partnership Income, for the SCET. Category 1 partners, moreover, could not claim a tax deduction for the cash or other property that they contributed to participate in an SCET. In other words, Category 1 partners got a charitable deduction of $0 and lost their investment in the partnership. Category 2 partners had it a little better. They also suffered a charitable deduction of $0, but they were allowed to claim a tax deduction equal to the out-of-pocket amount they paid to participate in the SCETs. Many SCETs offered a return of approximately $5 in tax deductions for each $1 of capital contribution. So Category 2 partners could claim a charitable deduction of $1 instead of $5 under the settlement initiative. They could, in effect, pretend that they had made a cash donation to the United Way, Red Cross, Salvation Army, or other legitimate charity. For Category 1 partners, the highest penalty asserted by the IRS in the Notice of Final Partnership Administrative Adjustment, or the highest penalty later asserted by the IRS attorney during tax court litigation would apply. This normally was the 40% penalty for a gross valuation misstatement or the 75% penalty for civil fraud. For Category 2 partners, the size of the penalty depended on the return on investment ratio, for which three possibilities existed. 
If the partner claimed a charitable deduction that was between one and five times their investment in the partnership, then the penalty was 10% of the tax underpayment. However, if the partner took a deduction that was between 5.1 and 8 times their investment, then the penalty increased to 15%. Finally, in situations in which the partner claimed a deduction that was more than 8.1 times their investment, the penalty jumped to 20%. The partnership had to aggregate and pay all interest for all partners and years on both the tax liabilities and penalties. Full Payment the partnership or group of participating partners had to fully pay the settlement amount upon executing the closing agreement. No modifications. The IRS halted any thoughts of partnerships and partners customizing terms based on their unique circumstances. Indeed, it explained that no provision of the closing agreement was subject to negotiation. No criminal waiver. The offer letters emphasized that participation in the settlement initiative would not affect the IRS's ability to later assert criminal penalties, promoter penalties, appraiser penalties, return preparer penalties, or any other penalties. If that were not clear enough, the offer letters went on to state that nothing in the settlement initiative precludes the IRS from investigating any associated criminal conduct or recommending prosecution of any individual or entity that participated in or assisted or advised others in participating in an SCET. Ongoing cooperation. The partnership and the partners had to fully cooperate with the IRS, which included supplying the IRS with items designed to facilitate the audit or investigation of others involved with SCETs. These consisted of correspondence, emails, and other communications and documents exchanged between a partner and other partners, representatives or agents of the partnership, promoters, appraisers, return preparers, tax advisors, and so on. ERC's IRS Methods It seems that few have noticed, but the methods used by the IRS in the ERC context are quite similar to the ones it employed earlier when combating SCETs. Take a look. Backstory Congress first enacted the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act in March 2020. The law generally provided that an eligible employer could get ERCs against certain employment taxes equal to 50% of the qualified wages it paid to each employee, subject to various limitations. Things were positive at the outset. The IRS published several items in early 2020 notifying taxpayers of various tax benefits introduced by Congress for businesses harmed by COVID-19, including the ERC. Other early pronouncements from the IRS were uplifting. They told taxpayers that the ERC had been extended three times by Congress, making benefits available through 2021. Things went downhill from there. Marking the first anniversary of the ERC's introduction, the IRS explained that criminal investigations and civil examinations were underway. It later disseminated a tax tip with a straightforward message, watch out for employee retention credit schemes. It explained that the IRS had been warning taxpayers about promoter scams for a long time, yet taxpayers not meeting the eligibility standards continued filing ERC claims. The IRS continued down this path later announcing that improper ERC claims not only made it onto the Dirty Dozen list, but topped it. 
More recently, IRS enforcement officials acknowledged that the ERC constitutes a substantial compliance issue because of the huge number of claims and the high incidence of noncompliance, with much of it bordering on fraud. Similar to what occurred in the SCET context, the IRS realized that its sticks, including warnings, investigations, and examinations, were insufficient. Therefore, dusting off its normal playbook, the IRS dangled the following two carrots. Withdrawal option. The IRS announced in September 2023 that it would soon introduce a special withdrawal option for taxpayers that previously filed ERC claims, have not yet received the tax benefits, and want to reverse course with the IRS on the most favorable terms possible. The IRS officially unveiled the program a month later. Its objective was to help small business owners and others who were pressured or misled by ERC marketers or promoters into filing ineligible claims. The IRS also suggested that the withdrawal option was designed to help honest taxpayers who mistakenly claimed the ERC. The withdrawal option functions as follows. An employer can apply if, one, it made an ERC claim on an amended employment tax return, such as Form 940-X, Adjusted Employer's Quarterly Federal Tax Return or Claim for Refund. Two, it filed that return solely for purposes of claiming the ERC. Three, it wants to retract the entire ERC claim, not just reduce it. And four, the IRS has not yet issued the ERC or the employer has not yet cashed or deposited the check. The withdrawal option features distinct methods for three categories of employers, namely those that have not received ERC refunds and have not been notified by the IRS of an audit, those that have not received ERC refunds but have been advised of an audit, and those that have received ERC refund checks but are holding them. The IRS indicates that it will send applicants a letter about whether their withdrawal request was accepted or rejected. It does not mention any specific reasons why particular employers might be rebuffed, but one assumes that this might occur if the IRS has prior indications of intentional misconduct, civil fraud, criminality, or the like. Consistent with that idea, the IRS expressly warns that an employer that filed fraudulent ERC claims, assisted in doing so, or conspired to do so, would not be exempt from criminal investigation and prosecution simply by applying for the withdrawal option. Some practitioners predicted that participation by employers in the withdrawal option would be underwhelming because many are unaware of its existence or believe in good faith that their pending ERC claims are legitimate. The IRS commissioner acknowledged that early interest in the withdrawal option was low. Settlement Initiative the IRS indicated in September 2023 that it planned to introduce a settlement program later in the year. True to its word, the IRS formally announced the VDP for ERCs in December 2023. Eligibility Standards Not all employers are eligible for the VDP. The IRS had to draw the line somewhere. It explained that an employer can apply only if it meets all the following criteria. One, the employer is not under IRS criminal investigation. Two, the employer has not already been notified that the IRS intends to start a criminal investigation. Three, the IRS has not received information from a third party alerting it to the employer's noncompliance. Four, 
The IRS has not acquired information of noncompliance directly from an enforcement action. 5. The employer is not under an employment tax audit by the IRS for any tax period for which it is applying for the VDP. And 6. The employer has not previously received a notice and demand from the IRS for repayment of all or a portion of an ERC claim. The IRS clarified that an employer that uses a third-party payer, like a professional employer organization, can apply for the VDP. However, the third-party payer must submit the application on its behalf. Application Process and Settlement Terms Here's what an employer must do to apply for the VDP. 1. Complete, sign under penalties of perjury, and electronically file a Form 15434. Application for Employee Retention Credit, ERC, Voluntary Disclosure Program, by March 22nd. 2. Return to the IRS 80% of the ERCs it previously received. 3. Execute a closing agreement. 4. Make full payment electronically before signing the closing agreement or apply for an installment agreement. 5. If entering into an installment agreement, pay the taxes, applicable penalties, and interest charges. 6. If the ERC claims involve any quarters in 2020, grant the IRS additional time by executing Form SS-10, consent to extend the time to assess employment taxes, and 7. Supply detailed information to the IRS about any individual, business, or organization that assisted the employer in making ERC claims. What is the IRS offering to induce participation by employers? If an employer repays 80% of the ERCs previously received, the IRS will waive all penalties and interest on the amount returned. In addition, the IRS will not characterize as income the 20% that an employer gets to retain. Lastly, an employer can claim a wages paid deduction for income tax purposes for 100% of the relevant wages, even though it is only paying 80% thanks to the VDP. No criminal waiver. The IRS expressly states that applying to the VDP is not a panacea. It indicates that executing a closing agreement under the VDP does not preclude the IRS from investigating any associated criminal conduct or recommending prosecution for violation of any criminal statute and does not provide immunity from prosecution. No second-guessing the IRS. The IRS emphasizes that it has the last word on eligibility. It says that denial of a VDP application is not subject to judicial review or administrative appeal. It also explains that an employer that does not agree to the terms of the closing agreement after being accepted into the VDP cannot engage in mediation with the IRS. Moreover, participation in the VDP requires the execution of a closing agreement the terms of which cannot be appealed in any manner. Ongoing cooperation The IRS indicates that an employer must cooperate with the IRS after filing the VDP application, which includes, but is not limited to, responding in a timely and accurate manner to all requests by the IRS. The IRS warns that lack of cooperation will deprive an employer of all VDP benefits and might lead to civil and criminal interest and penalties. Participation Levels and Considerations Settlement efforts by the IRS in the two areas have yielded different questions and results. 
Settlement Initiative for SCETs The IRS introduced the Settlement Initiative for SCETs amid lots of noise, but later eliminated it quietly. It appears that the IRS simply stopped sending offer letters to partnerships at some point in 2021 and never released statistics regarding participation levels. The IRS tends to broadcast absolutely anything that it considers a victory, so the abrupt termination of the settlement initiative and subsequent silence left many speculating that most partners were not tempted by the IRS's olive branch. There were several reasons for their not participating. For starters, many partnerships could not convince all partners to embrace the settlement initiative as required, particularly the Category 1 partners who were facing a tax deduction of $0, a loss of their capital contribution to the partnership, and penalties of 40% if the IRS alleged a gross valuation misstatement penalty, or 75% if the IRS alleged a civil fraud penalty. Another reason is that not all partners had enough cash to pay the taxes, penalties, and interest, even if they wanted to end things. Lastly, a significant number of Category 2 partners were simply unwilling to accept a severely limited tax deduction plus penalties of 10, 15, or 20% without a fight. This desire for their day in court increased in instances where their partnerships had conducted substantial due diligence before engaging in the SCET, obtained one or more compelling appraisals, relied on various specialized professionals, secured transactional documents devoid of serious technical flaws, and counted on a sizable defense fund or tax defense insurance. Voluntary Disclosure Program for ERCs The VDP for ERCs does not close until March 22, 2024, so the degree of participation by employers is unknown at this point. Those reflecting on the issue will have much to consider. On the other hand, Certain aspects of the VDP support accepting the deal, such as the following. The employer is only required to repay 80% of the ERC amount. The IRS will not classify the 20% retained by the employer as income. The employer can claim a wages paid deduction for income tax purposes for 100% of the wages, even though it is only paying 80% of them. Participation in the VDP generally will eliminate a long list of potential civil penalties often threatened by the IRS, including those for late payments, improper federal tax deposits, and inaccurate returns. And, after the parties execute a closing agreement, the IRS will adjust its internal accounts to reflect the retracted ERC amount so that the employer is not required to prepare and submit additional Forms 940X for each applicable quarter. On the other hand, some factors weigh in favor of not applying for the VDP. Here are a few that employers might be considering. The need to repay 80% of the ERC claims. Payment immediately or in the short term under an installment agreement. Imposition of late payment penalties and interest if an installment agreement is necessary. The negative financial effect of making a large payment on the current and future operations of the employer. The VDP does not feature a pre-clearance mechanism, meaning that an employer essentially must state to the IRS, under penalties of perjury, that its earlier ERC claims were invalid without any assurance that it will benefit from the VDP's protection. The IRS has sole discretion to determine whether an employer is eligible, and the IRS has authority to later jettison an employer from the VDP 
and revoke all its benefits if, in its opinion, an employer has not adequately cooperated with all aspects of the VDP. Litigation is underway to determine whether Notice 2021-20, and by extension other IRS guidance about the ERC, is invalid because it was issued in violation of the Administrative Procedure Act. Under many contracts, the repayment of ERCs will not trigger the right to a refund of contingency fees from the professionals that assisted in procuring the ERCs. Voluntarily repaying the IRS without first determining the appropriateness of ERC claims through an audit, administrative appeal, or tax litigation could weaken or eliminate any potential cause of action by an employer against any party that allegedly misadvised it. Participation in the VDP does not ensure a lack of criminal charges. The possible obligation to continue interacting with the IRS even after participating in the VDP, such as being required to provide data or serve as a witness in future IRS examinations or investigations focused on other parties, the massive number of ERC claims already processed by the IRS, pending with the IRS, or soon to be submitted to the IRS, the limited human resources available to the IRS and Justice Department for ERC enforcement activities, the relatively short period during which the IRS can audit and propose adjustments under the normal three-year assessment period, or even the extended five-year period for the third and fourth quarters of 2021, as well as the temporal restraints on the Justice Department initiating an erroneous refund suit after payment of ERCs, and the challenges the IRS faces in penalizing employers that relied in good faith on third parties, in light of the announcements indicating that the IRS created the withdrawal option and the VDP to help businesses that found themselves victims of aggressive promoters, it sees a variety of ways that promoters can lure businesses, tax-exempt groups, and others into applying for the credit, and it recognizes that the ERC is a complex claim with precise requirements an incredibly complex claim, and a very technical area of the law. Conclusion The previous settlement initiative for SCETs had low levels of participation by eligible partnerships and partners, and it is too early to gauge public interest in the VDP for ERCs. At least two certainties exist today, though. The first is that employers have many factors to ponder in deciding whether applying for the VDP is the right choice for their particular situation. The second is that regardless of how many employers throw in the proverbial towel by participating in the VDP, there are bound to be lots of ERC battles in the future. The legal and tax issues are too complicated. The IRS's resources are too strained. Some of the standards are too subjective and the amount of money at stake in many cases is too large for any other outcome. Thank you for listening to Comparing IRS Settlements, Easements, and Employee Retention Credits Written by Hale E. Shepard Narrated by Susan McGurl I hope you enjoyed the article. Feedback from listeners helps to improve my writing, so I welcome your comments and questions. You can contact me by email at hale.shepherd at chamberlainlaw.com. That's H-A-L-E dot S-H-E-P-P-A-R-D 
at chamberlainlaw.com or through my website at www.prosebytaxpros.com. That's P-R-O-S-E-B-Y-T-A-X-P-R-O-S dot com.